The information provided in this podcast episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is in no way a replacement for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Rebecca Thompson is a clarity and confidence coach and founder of the Living Your Life Bootcamp, an intensive and intimate eight-week personal development experience designed to help high-achieving Black women get the clarity to discover what lights them up, the confidence to chase their wildest dreams, and to take the action needed to create the life they love. She has traveled the world training women, especially women of color, to run for elected office. Rebecca also works with numerous local, statewide, and national progressive organizations focusing on electoral politics, civic engagement, and reflective democracy. Family, let's welcome Rebecca Thompson to the Minding My Black Business podcast. Welcome to Minding My Black Business. All right, family, welcome to another episode of the Minding My Black Business podcast. And today we have a special guest, uh, Rebecca Thompson. And I am so looking forward to this conversation because we're going to talk about some things that we hadn't really talked about before um, on the show. And it's interesting that we're kind of having this conversation in November, really. Now that I think about it. So before I get into all that, uh, I definitely want to welcome you. So welcome, Rebecca, to the podcast. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Now, can you introduce yourself and then let the people know, let the family know where they can find you? Yeah. So again, my name is Rebecca Thompson. I am a clarity and confidence coach for high achieving Black women. And I really do believe that my mission here is to help Black women light up the world. And for me, that really means that we are shining, even when people tell us not to and try to dim our light. It means that we earn what we're actually worth, uh, as opposed to helping other people build their businesses and their companies, but we use our brilliance and our magic to really change everything around us um and so i can be found at rebeccamthompson.com and i'm happy to chat more about my work beautiful okay so we definitely will make sure that we have those links so that as our listeners hear um your wonderful gems that you're about to share with us they can click on your website and take a look at your um your information and your services um so i'm curious you so I had the the luxury of having your bio and and going through the websites and all that kind of thing. Several things jumped out at me uh, <laughs> that I felt like, ooh, that's really interesting. But starting at the very beginning, why entrepreneurship? How in the world did entrepreneurship find you? Yeah, well, actually, it was in my blood. So mm-hmm. uh, my mom was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And at five years old, she had turned our basement into a full-fledged office Mm -hmm. with a Xerox copy machine and business phone lines and computers. And this was the early 90s. So at five years old, I was learning Mavis Beacon Teaches Typing because we were my mother's office assistants without knowing it, you know. And then she later, you know, rented an office space near our house. So her being in business and being an entrepreneur was always around us. What I also saw though, was that she struggled with having this passion for this business 
and being able to provide for her family. So growing up, all I really thought entrepreneurship was was struggle. And I would always just say to her, Ma, like, why don't you just go get a job? And she's like, I can't. Mm. And I never understood what that meant until fast forward, I'm an adult. And I would just have these realizations, like I'm an awful employee. Mm -hmm. I hate working for other people. Um, I hate going to an office every day. I had a long commute in this, particularly in this one job, um, I was commuting over an hour each way. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, this is not what it's supposed to be. You know, I felt like I had all this talent, all of these ideas, mm -hmm. and it really did feel like I was like wearing somebody else's shoes. Mm -hmm. And but I would talk to mentors and talk to friends who had done it, and I would be like, "Well, what did you do? And how did you make the leap?" Right. And I would often, you know, be I would sort of rationalize this to myself. Well, you know, oh, that's a that's a woman who you know she got help and people helped her start her bill. She had a family to lean on. I don't have those things, so I really can't make the leap. Um, and so in January, 2017, I quit my job, sold everything I owned and bought a one-way ticket to Malaysia. And the intention was that I was going to become my own boss and spend 12 months traveling the world, uh, living in 12 different countries. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever done. It was also the hardest thing that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And I would say it was that sort of, uh, beta version of full-time entrepreneurship that really prepared me for this chapter that I'm in. And I would say at the time, I thought that that season failed miserably. I came home after six months. I had uh, racked up all this debt. I had, you know, run out of money, but I still believed that it was possible. Uh, and then fast forward to November of 2019, I'm now celebrating one year of full-time entrepreneurship. Uh, and it's been amazing. So all that to say is like, it's been a long time coming, but um, yeah, it's been really amazing. That's fantastic. You, so you led right up to my next question. It's as if you knew what I was going to ask. Because uh, <laughs> I was really curious about Malaysia and spe specifically, why did you start there? And what did you learn about yourself doing that during that Ooh. time? Um, so I actually did a program called Remote Year. Um, so let me backtrack. In September of 2016, I was working with a coach and she asked me, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Mm -hmm. And the first thing that came up is that I would end the long-term relationship that I was in. I had a partner um, that I deeply cared for. Um, we lived together. And so I was like, I got to end this relationship. And so uh, we were on a retreat in Arizona. On the way home from the airport, I ended that relationship. It was probably a few days later that I saw a Facebook ad that said, do you want to travel the world and work remotely? And I was like, yes, yes, Sammy. <laughs> but I know that if I had seen that ad two days before, I, I would have completely overlooked it. Because I would have thought, well, I'm in this relationship, we live together, I can't just get up and travel the world. Mm -hmm. So I know that it was the decisions in that relationship that sort of pulled the trigger for me to see the ad. The ad had probably been showing up in my Facebook feed for months, right? But I had right. not paid attention to it. 
Uh, and I immediately called my sister and said, hey, if I go to Malaysia and travel the world for a year, will you keep my dogs? Because that was really the only barrier, right? It was this relationship. I had two dogs yeah. and I was very committed at that point to put in my job. And she's like, no, I will not, but tell me more. Uh, and I was like, okay, universe, if the only thing stopping me from doing this is finding a dog sitter, you know, then this is figure outable. Mm -hmm. um, and so the reason why I picked the program is because I would have never gone to Malaysia on my own, right? So when I, I was the first person in my family with the passport and I'd gone to Paris and London and sort of all of these, you know, touristy places, but I couldn't even point to Malaysia on a map before I moved there. So it was this idea of, also I should say, I was working in politics for a number of years. So this was right after the 2016 election. Um, and I just knew I'll never really get a chance to do this in this way if I don't do it now. Mm -hmm. So they picked all of the cities uh, and they were, there were 12 countries across Southeast Asia, uh, Europe and South America. Mm -hmm. And they took care of all of the housing, all of the transportation. So literally, we would just show up, uh, you know, outside of our building, our apartment, and then they would shuttle us to the airport and, you know, book all of our flights. So it was a way where I could travel without having to really manage anything. And right. we had co-working spaces. And so all that to say is it, there was infrastructure for this travel. So I wasn't mm -hmm. just backpacking through the world by myself. Um, but the first few weeks of the trip, so Malaysia was the first itinerary, I couldn't get out of bed for most of it. Mm. Um, in addition to being 12 hours behind or 12 hours ahead, I don't remember, um, my body was just like, what, excuse my French, what the fuck did you mm -hmm. just do? Right? Mm -hmm. and so I was crippled with anxiety because this dream of entrepreneurship, I, had, I was finally doing it, but right. every day I would be like, oh my God, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would say it wasn't until we moved to city number two, which was uh, Vietnam, mm -hmm. and then Cambodia, I began to, to thrive. And, okay. and then I began to be like, okay, first of all, ma'am, you are in another country. You don't, you got 12 months to figure this shit out, and you ain't got that long, so you right. better get up. So right. I think what I learned about myself was I'm braver than I ever thought I was, mm -hmm. because most people would be like, who just moves to Malaysia? Mm -hmm. um, the ability to, to like chase a dream and mm -hmm. then build it, right? right. Um, so I also learned that I am magical because mm -hmm. I, have, I can manifest the shit out of my dreams. Yeah. And that's like my superpower. So, um, but it took me moving to Malaysia to learn just how powerful I really am. Wow. Okay. I am. Okay. So I'm saying, okay, because I think there are so many things that you said that kind of resonates with, it just feels like the Black entrepreneurship experience. <laughs> it feels like some hallmarks of it. Um, the idea of being both brave and crippled with anxiety. Um, I mean, I think we all earn that like badge of honor. Dishonor? I don't know what it is, uh, <laughs> but it's definitely something. But you know what? It's a, it is such a necessary requirement mm -hmm. because I think people 
see people who are soaring and they think they're not afraid mm-hmm. or they think, well, they must have it all figured out and there's in turn something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is like, no, we all scared, right? <laughs> like if you don't have anxiety, there's probably something wrong, you know, but you need that because what it means is like nothing is certain. So you got to trust your intuition. You got to, and I'm always saying this, you know, especially for, for people who are like, Oh, I'm a believer. You say you're a believer. No, you're not. Because right. entrepreneurship is a faith walk. Right? right. And so we say these things, Oh, I'm, I go to church. I do whatever. I read my Bible. And then it's like, but you don't really believe that it's possible for you. Mm-hmm. And so we self-sabotage by thinking, well, I got to have it all perfect or mm-hmm. I got to, I got to know all 12 steps before I can move. And the reality is, it's like you are doing the work by just taking the steps. Like that's, that's, that's right. it. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. It is very much. So I found that a lot of black entrepreneurs find themselves in spaces that don't exist or spaces where they're the only chocolate chip in the room and so (laughs) oftentimes it does feel very much like you're sort of building the bridge as you're walking on it um so not only is it is it it's a faith walk but it also is if this crashes and burns I'm taking not only me but sometimes my family with me like it's just so I get the idea of the crippling anxiety and the hesitancy to move yeah but the bravery it takes um for black entrepreneurs to get up every morning and 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 move forward or even course change because there's some of us that course change yeah. um and so and that's what I, was, right yeah, it was yeah. a course change. it was mm-hmm. i had spent 20 years working in politics mm-hmm. and had gotten burnt out on it and decided yeah. i have to do something else or right. otherwise it will kill me right and but i was deeply afraid because i was like who's gonna hire me to be their clarity coach i don't mm-hmm. even have clarity in my own life you know like <laughs> i i felt like such an imposter at the beginning of this but i knew that what i was doing wasn't working for me anymore and mm-hmm. so i started you know with one client and then in literally a matter of months grew my coaching practice to a six-figure business and i was like what have i been doing all this time <laughs> the wrong thing right so also i would say pivoting is is what a lot of us need to do because we think you know oh i've been you know i went to school for this thing or i've been doing this thing and we think that that it must mean that it's tied to our destiny and it's it it might not be true but it's the willingness to explore something else or to go off the beaten path really Uh that is where the the reward comes from so yeah i'm I am, I was able to carve out a space for myself, especially in politics, because I'm still very politics adjacent, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was able to create work that I needed, right? And so it wasn't being done by anybody else. I was the right person to do it, and and things have worked out since. Well, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And speaking of politics, you were uh, an intern at 14 years old, so that's what? Uh, middle school? Uh, yes. <laughs> how, do, how does that happen? How do you, you've worked with the Congressional uh, Black Congress uh, Caucus. Um, how, 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 how do yeah. these things happen? So I also would say like this was, you know, because of my mother, excuse me. Mm. Um, so she was working for a nonprofit and mm. it just so happened to be a, uh, city of Detroit, uh, like 
youth summer entrepreneurship program. Okay. And I got placed at uh, working for a county commissioner Mm. and my identical twin sister. And she got placed at the general services administration. And so at 14, we were wearing our mother's suits to work. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And I will never forget one day taking the bus to work and seeing my friends whose summer job was picking up trash. Mm -hmm. And so on the bus, we're riding past them as they were picking up trash. And I knew then that that bus ride symbolized that my life was going in a different direction. Mm -hmm. You know, like how different would would it have been if that was my summer job, you know, where I was was wearing suits to work and typing and like making copies, you know, Mm -hmm. and also at 14, writing her constituent mail. And I'm always joke like, who lets a 14 year old write constituent mail? But they did, you know, and it planted a seed that I didn't even know was growing, you know? And so, but what it did is like, oh, this might be something I can do. And that sort of grew into a one day, I'm going to move to Washington. I'm going to learn from the best people in politics, and I'm going to bring that experience home to Detroit. And so uh, I started my career on Capitol Hill. Um, I traveled the country working to make college more affordable for students and their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked in the mayor's office in Washington, D.C. So, like, I got to have these really beautiful experiences. Um, right. I volunteered on the Obama campaign and went to eight different states. And so I got to just my life was this dream. Like I got to, to live my childhood dream. But after 2016, um, and mind you, you know, there were a lot of people who woke up to politics in 2016, mm-hmm. but I had already been on this journey for decades. Right. So what it did was it took the life out of me because it was, it basically meant, and I, in 2016, I was actually working on a, a program in Detroit that was uh, essentially running the Clinton campaign in Detroit. And so to then watch on election night, it come down to Michigan and Wayne County and Detroit and the areas that I've been working and we could lose. Uh, I just cried and was like, I, I legitimately felt guilty because I knew that I was about to leave the country. Mm. And I felt like, what is going to happen to this place? But I knew that if I didn't leave, my mental health was going to suffer. Um, mm. Most of my friends thought they were about to go to the White House and get jobs and like, you know, mm-hmm. all these things are about to flourish were not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a real moment of uh, clarity for me that was, I have got to get out of this. And this yeah. is not my destiny. Um, and as much as I love it, it will always be in me. But there were other people stepping up. And mm-hmm. so what it meant, I also felt like permission from the universe to say, other people are going to step up in ways they never have. Right. You, you can do something else. And you get to use your talents and especially my very first client was a black woman who had run for office Mm -hmm. who was trying to figure out what to do with her magic now that Mm. she was no longer elected and i I realized like wait a minute there is this beautiful marriage Mm -hmm. of all of these women who have spent years and decades just like me Mm -hmm. toiling away Mm -hmm. in this brutal combat sport of an industry um, and they want to start new chapters too. And what would it look like if I, one, modeled what that could look like? Because mm-hmm. I think there's also this, um, I don't want to say a misnomer, but this idea that you can lead somebody through something that you've never done before, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
And so I knew I couldn't be out here encouraging women to live in their light if I wasn't doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, okay, so what are the decisions you got to make? What are the leaps that you have to make? Mm -hmm. And then people started seeing me and were like, what are you doing? Like something, your, your energy is different, mm -hmm. you know, you're working for yourself. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'm on to something. And so I know that had I not spent all those years in politics, mm -hmm. this work wouldn't, wouldn't have manifested. Mm. that's beautiful because that i was curious about how you were able to marry the two both politics and entrepreneurship and it sounds yeah. like a lot of it was around one people sort of seeing you uh making moves and being being curious about you know your magic and mm -hmm. also them maybe even having a previous connection with you and, and their own sort of feeling lost Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, do you feel like those things are, is that a hard thing to marry politics and entrepreneurship or do they, do they kind of fit naturally together? It is such a, uh, unorthodox partnership. So I think there's a couple things that I struggled with in the first iteration of my business. So, um, the first sort of version of it was me coaching and training black women and women of color to run for office. The challenge, though, was that most political work is, is either done as a consultant or through nonprofits. So maybe you train women to run, but you don't support them as candidates or whatever it might be. Right. So there, were, there was not really a model that varied the coaching with the consulting, right? Mm -hmm. So I sort of had to make the case for why people should be willing to invest in themselves and get a trainer or a coach. So actually... That iteration of my business also is what introduced me to passive income. So I took all the resources and tools that I used from my campaign when I ran for state representative in 2014, took my Google Doc, and then decided, well, wait a minute, people have been asking me for this, they've been using it as a resource, and I created um, what I call the campaign starter kit. So it was a $125 digital download that got an hour or like 30 minutes of coaching with me. And I'll never forget one day I had like uh, cemented this partnership with a group that was training women to run. They sent out one email. And in that one day I made over $3,000, which was more than a two week paycheck at my job at the time. And I remember thinking, holy shit, people are buying this. Right. And this money is just showing up in my bank account. Like what is happening? And so that was really my first foray into, well, wait a minute, maybe the, the intersection between politics and entrepreneurship isn't that wide at all. Mm -hmm. and, and so that sort of really at least whet my appetite for it. What I have now found is that, you know, this sort of next chapter of my work, the living your light work, I'm getting, you know, there are women whose jobs are paying for them to do this. There are women who are like, you know, I've never had a coach before. So it's a different kind of like level of investment. Um, sure. Also, I would just be really honest that when I started, I was undercharging severely. Mm. There's no way that I would do anything now for $125 that included this like, you know, worth thousands of dollars plus giving away my time. Like, but I just right. didn't know any better. Right. Um, right. And so I think by building on that offer, I was able to create a business model that was sort of innovative in the space because nobody else was really doing sort of political training and then layering the coaching. Mm -hmm. Also, probably my, my most successful marriage of the two 
is I would travel the world training women to run for office and I would train them on um, how to raise money. Mm. But then I started doing all of this mindset work in my personal development coaching and realized, wait a minute, nobody's marrying the two. So for the Congressional Black Caucus, I literally travel the country training black candidates on how to shift their money mindset and heal their relationship to money. Mm -hmm. And it is the most powerful training. It is like always, I'm always seeing light bulbs going off and I'm like, wait a minute, literally there's nobody in the country training political candidates on the mindset work of political fundraising. So it has allowed me to create this really powerful specific niche. And then when people go through the session, they're like, oh my gosh, how do I work with you? And then that's how I get them into my personal development coaching. So at first it was real hodgepodgey, but Mm -hmm. now it's like very methodical. You know, I'm able to bring people in with the mindset work and I might be able to bring them in with the political work, mm-hmm. but also get them to think differently. And it's a really great bridge to the personal development work. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. I love that. I've been, take, I've been taking notes as you've been talking. And because uh, you dropped gems and I, the... I feel like we could spend days um, as it relates <laughs> to talking about money. I mean, just the narratives that we've been told about it. Um, yeah. Not even our and money, just money, work. just money in general. Right, <laughs> right. Money in general, all the limiting beliefs that we have, mm-hmm. all of the bad habits that we inherit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and more importantly, specifically for Black folks, the mm-hmm. crux of that presentation is Um, how our ancestors were bought and paid for, right? Right. Like literally the relationship that we have to slavery, Mm -hmm. it has everything to do with our money. And Mm so I don't care if you run for office and need to raise money or you want to start a business and need to, you know, ask people to pay you what you're worth. Um, We continue to pass. It's, and it's also the the trauma of that is still in our DNA. So it's no wonder we have, you know, struggles acknowledging our brilliance, mm-hmm. asking for what we're worth, charging what we're worth. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, um, you know, I'm, I'm on such a mission to, like, I want every Black woman to mm-hmm. earn more than what she's worth, you know, yeah. or I want every Black woman to see herself the way we see her. And usually, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these high achieving Black women that we adore, but they don't that way about themselves so in turn they do things like undervalue their services give them away for free right like so it's all very 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 interconnected it sure is it sure is and it just means something different when you have someone sort of sitting across from you that looks like you saying those things that not only are you worthy but this is this (laughs) you must demand it um and so um those are those are pretty powerful conversations um because i think oftentimes i will hear or i'll even witness people sort of trying to operate their business outside of themselves um and i'm like no you know the things that you (laughs) first of all entrepreneurship will shine a light on you (laughs) like nothing else i've ever seen any um any area of growth that you have is going to be an area of growth in your business. Um, any strength that you have will also be that in your business. And so if you don't pull it together, it's, it's going to impact the bottom line, which is, which is your bank account. So, um, 
so yeah, these are, oh my goodness. Okay, I done got, I've, I've gotten way off track, um, <laughs> but I appreciate this. So in terms of our Black entrepreneurs, what do you think that they need to know um, in terms of, so this, this is gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I have several questions, but it's ultimately one question. What do Black entrepre- entrepreneurs need to know with respect to politics? How do, how might their political decisions impact their respective businesses, goods, services? Um, is that something we should even be talking about if, if we're entrepreneurs? Is that something that we should compartmentalize? Um, I mean, just kind of thinking about where we are today and what's happening in our day-to-day. Um, what, what do we do with that? Um, what, or what should we do with that, if anything? Well, politics touches everything. Mm-hmm. And people tend to think, you know, I'm apolitical or, you know, I don't have to, I don't need to be opinionated or I don't need to take stances on things. You know, if you aren't showing up as your full self in your business, people can see that, mm-hmm. right? They can see, first of all, you know, and I'm, I'm going to even use an example let's just even think at the local level, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if it's where you got to register your business. I don't care if there's ordinances, you know, or that affect where you can open your business. Like everything, it touches politics, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a say in that, even better, because what it means is, you know, the difference between electing somebody who actually has a vested interest in building black businesses or not, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, people who I'm from Detroit and there was a period of time after the city's bankruptcy where there were only white people opening businesses and they were the ones that were getting all the attention on the backs of all of the black folks who had struggled through the bankruptcy and the hard times in the city. So when you look for political leaders, you better have somebody who's showing up for you. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is it doesn't mean you got to go work on a campaign or you got to give money to politicians but what it means is like, you got to stand for something, right? right? And so me being unapologetic in my work about, you know, building political power, particularly for black folks and women of color, um, that touches everything I do, which means that, you know, I have a, a rule mm-hmm. where, and especially because so many of my friends are in politics, um, I, give, I only give to women and people of color now, right? There are a lot of folks running for office, but some of them will just never get my money because mm-hmm. I use my money, even if it's five or $10 a month as my voice, right? And so that's locally, that's nationally. Um, So one, I think it touches everything and you are ignorant if you don't think that you need to be paying attention to it. Two is, you know, people elected a businessman to the White House, right? Mm -hmm. And so whether or not you like it, we, you know, growing up, I remember how people used to admire Donald Trump as the, the status symbol for wealth. Absolutely. And now we see what that businessman is doing mm-hmm. with our country. So just in a lot of ways, I, you know, I think about um, they absolutely go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, thinking about the taxes that you pay or, um, you know, the loops and hoops that we have to go through for funding and resources and how mm-hmm. all of those things interconnected uh it behooves you to pay attention and to find people in your community who Mm -hmm. do a great job and then get them into office right it's not enough to just sit on the sidelines and like complain about it 
-hmm. if you aren't actually doing anything. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Because you're so right. It is, it is so much more than like actively, maybe actively contributing to a campaign where that might feel so far reaching maybe for an entrepreneur, but, but if someone's mm -hmm. sitting on your, is a, is a house delegate or sitting on the city council and is making rules about much like what you said, ordinances or even new opportunities that are coming to the area and who gets the, who, what, which entrepreneurs or which small businesses get access to those contracts. And so um, there again, it, it just does really behoove you to kind of have your ear to the ground about what's happening in your, certainly in your, in your national politics, but definitely your local, Absolutely. Your local, local politics. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um, a few questions back about how um, in all these things that you've been learning as you have grown your business and made changes and um, even made the leap um, when you went to go work abroad, that there were moments in which you either felt as though your mental health was suffering or it was about to, you were kind of preemptively doing some things. What were, how, did, how could you tell that things were? happening for you in terms of mental health and then what steps did you take to to address those issues yeah uh well i knew something was wrong when i would go to work every day and just come home and go to sleep and mm -hmm. going to sleep was my favorite thing to do it became my hobby mm -hmm. um i would never open the blinds and i moved into my apartment because of its floor to ceiling windows and the natural light and i i know i suffer from seasonal affective disorder so like sunlight is something i absolutely need so to, to realize that I was going months without opening my blinds, uh, without seeing friends, uh, I was severely depressed and didn't even realize it. And then I, for a little bit, I felt like I was going crazy because I was just so overwhelmed. I would just break out in tears for no reason. Uh, and I called my twin sister one night at three o'clock on a Tuesday and said, uh, I think something might be wrong with me. I think I might need to check myself in somewhere. And she's like, well, first of all, don't do that. Cause you live in Maryland. We live in Michigan. You check yourself in somewhere. It's easy to walk in, but it's not easy to walk out. Mm -hmm. And she also reminded me that, you know, one is you might not be, you might not need a mental institution, but you might be depressed. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's unpack that. Right. And so I went to a walk-in psychiatric assessment center in Virginia. I didn't even know those existed. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I'm even thinking that, you know, a psychiatrist's office or, you know, mental health facility looks in my head. It's this scary place. And it, mm -hmm. you know, it was a bunch of crazy people running around. And instead, what I went to was what looked like a dentist's office, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I see all these people going in and I meet with the psychiatrist and she says, yeah, you're severely depressed and you have been for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I made the decision to get on antidepressants and it literally transformed my life because I think in my head, particularly growing up in a, you know, black conservative Christian family, it was like, Oh, I'll just pray it away. You know? Uh, and my mother would, would sort of be like, we don't need therapy. You know, we fine. Mm -hmm. And, and so I was, I was, I thought only crazy people got on antidepressants and mm -hmm. even the idea of what that word meant you know mm -hmm. um and so a friend of mine you know shared that she had been on antidepressants and she's like I feel more like myself and I was like what does that mean right a few months later I was like oh my god I get it right mm -hmm. and so I feel like my best self and so it means that 
there are still days when I don't feel great, but I can get out of bed. You mm -hmm. know, I open the blinds. Um, I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have everything I've ever dreamed of, you know, but it was probably already there the whole time. I just couldn't see it. So I think in a lot of ways, my body was telling me that something was wrong and something needed to change, but I wasn't listening. Right. But I'm so glad that I did because also I should say that, you know, me getting help uh, in my relationship, I have a really amazing partner and he had been depressed and struggling with depression and thought that that was normal. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think him hearing and seeing my evolution and growth was, was also an impetus for him to do that. And so now we're like two healthy people in love and happy. And I'm like, in the beautiful and I'm like you get we get the healthiest versions of each other you know mm -hmm. I'm so glad I didn't meet you two years ago because we would not have been good for each other you know but now it's like we're healthy and we're thriving and both of us have businesses that are growing and that is if, excuse me, in large part due to the fact that we, we took care of our mental health too okay I hope y'all heard that <laughs> for somebody i don't know who but get your mental health together because it's like you can't be right. out here trying to run no business and help other people if you ain't helping yourself right right and you know so yeah. so many of us operate in a space of it can be done versus should it be done and so we're oftentimes running our businesses on four hours of sleep we are definitely not drinking our water. We, like yeah. you said, hadn't seen the sun in three days. Like, just because you could open your eyes, turn on your laptop, and submit an invoice. <laughs> I mean, you're technically working, but yeah. but couldn't you be working in a different way? Should you get some support? And so sometimes we don't even like you're, much like you were saying, we don't even recognize how far past okay we've been operating um, because we just do it. We, it just, we just has do, to do it. it. Right. And we're conditioned to just do it. And our parents Absolutely. just did it and our grandparents just did it. But we have tools and resources that they could only have dreamed of. Absolutely. And it is our, we owe it to them mm -hmm. to take care of ourselves. Because I know I learned only after my father passed away that he was bipolar. Mm -hmm. Never knew that growing up my entire life, which means he never got help to really make sure he could thrive, right? So it's so we owe it to not just our parents and our family, but to our future customers, right? Like the, them getting the healthiest version of me means that they can see what it what is possible and what it can look like for them. Right, certainly, certainly, certainly. Okay, that was beautiful, that was beautiful. Um, I feel like I could be talking to you all day, but I know that time is money, so I won't do that to you. But because no. <laughs> mind in my black business me. You know, uh, I will say it means a few things. One is a few months ago, I made a decision to pivot from saying women of color to black women. Mm. And that was actually a hard decision because I was attracting all of these women who had worked with me or, you know, even men and other people uh, who were not black. And so I thought, you know, from a place of scarcity, I got to work with everybody. Mm -hmm. And then one day I had a, like a not great experience with a client and I was like, that's it. Mm. This is for black women. And I need to be unapologetic about saying that. You know, and if I'm not, I'm doing this work a disservice. Yeah. And so the way that I describe my work now is, you know, the Live in Your Light boot camp is a love letter to Black women. Um, and it is, it's the work that I needed. It's the community that I needed when I was struggling. 
And it's okay mm -hmm. to just want to show up for Black women because there are so few people showing up for us. So what that means for me is being unapologetic about who I serve, mm -hmm. uh, who I love. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in an interracial relationship before and I felt like I was out of alignment, but I couldn't figure out why. And I, and, and I know, right, like loving a Black man has changed my life in so many ways. Um, and it means being unapologetic, unapologetic about that. Uh, so it's like just standing in my brilliance, right? And not dimming my light or dimming my impact by feeling like I, I, I've got to serve everybody. And so I know now I am not for everybody and that's okay. Um, because the right women who are going to find me, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is an answer to my prayer. Mm -hmm. And for other people, I will send them, you know, and release them with love. But I think it's, it's about being unapologetic about who I am and, who I serve and the, the, the way in which I want to light up the world. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. This has been a pure pleasure. I, um, we definitely got to all my questions and more. And I think you have shared some things that are really going to sit with people. As they move forward in their own business building journey. So, thank you for that. You are so welcome. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, if you want to know more and you like what you heard, don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast. Also, follow the movement on our website, mindingmyblackbusiness.com, and on our Facebook and Instagram pages under Minding My Black Business and on Twitter under Minding My Black Biz. So peace and blessings to us all, family. And when you're out there and they ask you what you're doing, let them know that you're minding my black business.